has gone forward with Stewart to the right, Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Well, Jeff, it's been an incredible week and I can't wait to get going. But before that, your trivia question. Okay, there are only three players who have scored a hat-trick against Barcelona in the Champions League. Now, the last one is easy. It's Kylian Mbappe, which was done only two weeks ago. But who are the other two players? The other two players who have scored hat-tricks against Barcelona in the Champions League. I just know that there's going to be a surprise in that one. I can't wait to talk about our two teams, Jeff, but we've got a lot to get through before that. First of all, let's start with what happened on Saturday. And I was so pleased this happened. But, I mean, if you're an Arsenal fan, you're going to feel very, very aggrieved. Burnley won, Arsenal won. There were two penalty shouts. One was given and one wasn't. Probably should have been the other way around. Yeah, I, I think the, the the one that was given and then rescinded was, was obvious nonsense. But the, the basketball playing, which went on from the, from the Burnley player, I, I cannot understand how that wasn't given as a penalty I mean how many times do you have to bounce it and <laughs> before the referee gives it it was quite extraordinary I mean the Wanderers fans do have a you know a genuine complaint but join the real world same as other teams this year the penalty that was given and then not given was probably the least of the two um, it kind of bounced off the player's shoulder and went up over the bar and then he was given a red card and then the red card was rescinded and he almost came back on the pitch um, but then he was given a yellow I think for dissent and there was no penalty but the other one was blatant in plain view of everybody and uh, the referee just didn't even say anything so unlucky Arsenal but uh, you've got Arteta has his head been turned with all this talk of going to Barcelona and are Arsenal getting better or have they now reverted to type and drawing away at Burnley is about right I, I think revert, reverting to type maybe maybe reverting to the to the mean let's say they, they've always had the ability to have a good game in them which they've shown a couple of times in the last five they don't convince and, they, and there's, there's no sort of continuity to it they can't keep it up I think the most telling thing is the the narrative from their um, their fans in the press who seem to have decided that far from Arteta being the piece that completes the project at Arsenal now they've they're all saying oh no well it was always a big rebuilding project well it wasn't a rebuilding project when they appointed him in the first place but suddenly now it is I do think they do have a rebuilding project to do they'd be much better off doing it with a decent manager. Yeah, possibly start. The foundation is the manager for the rebuilding. And you're right, I mean, when Emery was there, nobody mentioned him having to do a rebuilding. And they're no better off now, position and points-wise, than they were under him. Possibly worse now we've got further into the season. So saying it's a rebuilding and, you know, using these buzzwords like project is an excuse for we're not doing very well. That's what that is. Uh, but they were unlucky. Unlucky Arsenal away at Burnley. And I think it would be churlish of me to say uh, serves them right. As you say, welcome to the real world. You know, decisions do go, do go against you. Sheffield United now are down, aren't they? Pretty much. They were at home to Southampton. And I thought, oh, Sheffield United might pick up a point here because Southampton have lost so many games over the last period. But they've uh, stopped the rot. 
Yes, thankfully. I mean, we do this um, sort of football pools thing at um, at our bar where we do the radio show, where you have to give the correct results in these six matches. Every week now, I've been looking at the team, say, like like Leicester. Oh, they've got to come good now. They, you know, this is this is where they turn the corner. I put Southampton to beat Sheffield United 2-0 on that basis. Yet, you know, the previous week, I put Southampton to win and because they must come good eventually, and they didn't. But this is the week that they did. Southampton are a good side, and they've got a great manager, and they're going to be okay. But as you said, Sheffield United are down. Yeah, you did actually well with your predictions. Uh, so that is, yeah, Sheffield United down. Southampton fans were, were saying, you know, we're, last week when they lost, that we could be dragged into a relegation battle. No such thing. I think it's Newcastle and Brighton want to be worrying more about that. Uh, Aston Villa nil, Wolves nil. Um, I think that was to be expected. But then Brighton, unfortunately for them, Brighton won Leicester 2. Another team, Leicester, who kind of needed to stop the rot, as it were, because they were having a little, of a, bad, a little bit of a bad run. Yeah, and, and Leicester have, you know, Leicester's problem is they've got four of their their best five players out injured. For them, it was a very, very good result. And maybe the, the liberation of not being in the uh, in the Vars in Europe is has, has sort of helped them, will help them in the league. The, the thing to look at at Leicester, though, is quite simply their recruitment has been superb. When they've lost those good players, the players that have come in have done extremely well. But the one thing you cannot, you, you cannot make up for uh, Jamie Vardy and his goals uh, even even if he doesn't score he takes two defenders with him wherever he goes losing Har- Harvey Barnes who is the one who scores when Vardy doesn't is of course a big problem for them but I think there's a lot of big clubs should look at the Leicester's recruitment and think how can they keep getting these players for 15 and 20 million when we're paying 50 there are a few clubs that do seem to find gems and develop them. Southampton, we mentioned, you know, are a bit of a, a selling club, but they do seem to find players. I mean, Gareth Bale from Southampton, for example. I mean, Danny Ings is at Southampton, and there is a lot of talk of him going to, let's call it, a bigger club. Yeah, I, I don't think that was ever on because he he came from a bigger club, didn't he? He couldn't didn't make the grade at Liverpool really, and Southampton mid to upper table side is, is you know is where his level is I think okay now then uh, that was Saturday but Sunday was the big day for our teams and for football in general because there was a lot of amazing results uh, one of them is not West Brom nil Newcastle nil for Newcastle that point's probably more valuable than it is for West Brom because West Brom needed three but Newcastle will get away with the one yeah that one was important to keep them ahead of Fulham if you're on the borderline of, of the relegation then you'll take every point you can get they're valuable points when you're as far behind as West Brom are you neither three definitely uh, and then <laughs> after the West Brom Newcastle game came the big one time for Liverpool to stop their uh, was it five games in a row losing at home they lost five games in a row at home to put that in perspective in the five years and three months previous to that on the clock they'd lost four games at home in five nearly five and a half years this year which is we're only in beginning of March they'd lost five in a row then they went and played Fulham in the bottom three and lost what is worrying for Klopp is not that they lost because you know you, you can lose a game you, play, you can play one and lose a game but Fulham looked the better side throughout the whole of the match Fulham were better they were first to every second ball in midfield they competed better in both penalty areas they were the better side and that is what will worry Klopp a lot yeah when I saw uh, Tottenham play Fulham and it was a one-all draw at Tottenham earlier, not so long ago, really, but early in the season. And I was thinking, oh goodness, you know, we should be beating them. And then we got away with almost a one-nil victory away at their place. And we'll talk about that because there's been changes in the handball rule, and that would have benefited them. But I thought 
Fulham were excellent. We were, I mean, they, they were attacking Tottenham in the second half of that 1-0 victory. A lot. And I'm not surprised, really. The form that we're seeing now, I can't understand why they're in the bottom three. They look really good. I agree with that completely. I don't know if you remember the match uh, against West Ham a few weeks ago where both Kirk and I were really, really pleased to get away with a draw. And Kirk had predicted Fulham to beat West Ham and I'd said probably the draw. They're very, very good. <laughs> but they can't score. And it doesn't matter how good you are if you can't score. You're going to be in relegation trouble. And that's why they are where they are. But Scott Barker has done himself a power of good as a manager. So if Fulham went down, someone in the Premier League will pick him up as a manager. I mean, he's done a superb job. They're playing great football. They, You can see the way they're set up. They understand. They understand the formation. They understand their, their position within the formation, what they have to do. Short of actually putting the ball in the net, they've been superb. They're fun to watch as well. They play attractive football. And he's a young manager he sets his team up obviously to stay up the run they're on you, you wouldn't back them not to uh, if Newcastle get uh, get onto a bad run but uh, yeah I, th- I think there'll be some club will be uh, after him at the end of the season but Liverpool six losses in a row six in a row uh, it possibly must be the worst title defence ever I think it probably is isn't it although you might find if you look back back in the day someone got relegated the year after <laughs> they, the year after they won the league but, but short of that yeah it's a terrible terrible defence and you know there are very good reasons why it is what it is I think right up until last week so all the genuine reasons which surround injuries and the fact that they've had 19 different uh, centre-back pairings this season and the most number of games any two centre-backs have played together is three is cannibalised the midfield so he's screwed his midfield to help out the defence which hasn't happened he hasn't been able to reset the high-paced pressing game that he had the same way that the guardian has done at City and that Rogers has done at Leicester particularly in Germany they've toned down the high the high pace pressing as well what, why couldn't Klopp do that at Liverpool because he had to spend all his time on the training pitch trying to find two centre-backs who can play together so there are reasons but that match against Fulham wasn't about that at all that was about one team wanted to win that much more than the other one did and the energy levels from Fulham players were were much much higher than Liverpool players that was about motivation yes I'm not going to say because it's either too early or speculation that he's lost the dressing room or there's problems there I think there is a problem with Salah and Klopp or there certainly was Salah looked very unhappy and angry at being substituted I think there's a problem with Salah and the rest of the squad. Actually, it could be that. We've said on this podcast so many times, I think you started the conversation, that Salah is selfish, and when he's not scoring, that's a problem. There were a couple of occasions in the last couple of games where he's looked very angry when a pass hasn't come to him, or he's had to pass it to somebody else. So I think, yeah, maybe it's not Klopp and Salah. Yeah, and uh, Mane gave a, gave a secret away in uh, uh, in the press last last week, I think it was, where he said there have been occasions this season where he's been fouled in the penalty area and he's not gone down. And referees are incompetent because unless you go down, they won't give the penalty. And if you can show me in the rules anywhere where it says you must fall over to get a penalty, then, yeah. well, I'll be very surprised because there isn't one. If a player is fouled... He should get a penalty whether he falls over or not. Now, that's what the law says. But Mane is saying that he's been fouled in the penalty area and not fallen over because Salah takes the penalties. So he'd be giving a goal to Salah. So he'd rather his team didn't score a goal because the goal would be scored by Salah. It's almost that. He thinks he can go on to get the goal himself. And if he goes down, he's giving the goal to Salah. So he'd rather take the risk, basically, than give a goal to somebody he's clearly not happy with or not getting on with. 
there's a bit of unrest in the dressing room because relations are strained between the players and Salah. Klopp, I think, you know, he, he, no Liverpool fans are calling for his head. He's a good manager and he's done, done them proud over the five and a half years. But clearly, to lose six in a row is relegation form, if anything. I mean, that's dreadful. I mean, we talk about Tottenham uh, losing, you know, not winning in five games, but to lose six at home in a row is just dreadful. And there, there they are languishing outside the European spots. It's, it's a tough time for Liverpool. But other teams have had injuries as well uh, and had to rotate their back four and everything. But I suppose they've have had a tough time. But as you say, Fulham were just a better team. If that game was a surprise, Manchester City were at home having won, what is it, 22 in a row? One. Never mind losing six at home. They've won. Not just unbeaten, but won. 22 in a row. They were at home to their across-town rivals, Man United. And I hate to say it, Jeff, because you dislike Man United, but they were the better team. And they beat City 2-0. What did you make of that game? I actually thought City were the better team in the first half and Manchester United the better team in the second half. But getting those two goals in, you know, within a couple of minutes of, of each restart is, is shocking, yeah. What did Hazus think he was doing back there? The United player who was making a run to the right-hand side of the, of the penalty area was going nowhere. He was covered. There were defenders between him and the goal. He couldn't get a shot off. So why make the tackle at all? It was moronic. Even in the first half where, where City, they were better than Manchester United in the first half without ever creating anything. That was the problem. De Bruyne was having one of those days where everything he tried failed. You know, he couldn't, couldn't make a pass, couldn't make a shot. It was you know, a very, very bad day for him. After giving away the penalty, Jesus, his, his confidence had completely gone. That was the strange thing to see. It was as if that, that one penalty just drained Manchester City of the confidence that they played with in all those previous 21, 22 matches. And that's a very surprising thing because you expect you know teams at the top should be okay okay we've we've given one away okay now we go back and there wasn't ever that sense that they were going to come back from it despite all the possession they had it was good possession in good places in the field that didn't turn into proper goal scoring opportunities and that the couple of sh- that they shots that they did have Henderson made a blinding save on one of them he's a good goalkeeper Manchester United they've got to keep him in goal he's clearly better than De Gea Maguire looked well he looked like a big dog Donkey, cross between, the, cross between the donkey and the elephant that he is. Why they keep picking him, I don't know. In terms of the victory, Manchester United deserved the victory. Over the 90 minutes, they were the better team, and they clearly wanted it more. Actually, that's the thing about these derbies, and uh, Tottenham have got Arsenal coming up this weekend away at Arsenal. These derbies, the players are generally fired up and want to go out and win, and Man United clearly did the way, you, the way they played. And actually, their penalty, for once you have to say it was a penalty, um, I think, because United, we often argue, are gifted penalties. Uh, they They've had four more penalties than any other team this season. But that time it was a penalty. There was no doubt about that. And there's no doubt they were the better team overall. But most importantly, as you say, I think they just wanted it more. However, one loss in 23 games is not a big deal for a um, team that's probably going to win the league anyway. Now we come to something that something I really enjoyed. Watching Tottenham. And it's not often I get to say that. And for me, it was a near-perfect performance. Tottenham 4, Crystal Palace 1. For me, there's a lot to talk about. First of all, Gareth Bale was... Brilliant. Two goals and was bombing up and down the wing. Was actually tracking. He cleared a couple of shots off the line. He actually was defended, uh, as did Harry Kane. Uh, Harry, Harry Kane headed a ball off the line because Palace had a, had a bit of a go. But Gareth Bale was pinging pinpoint passes across and around the whole pitch, and it was a joy to watch. 
it might mean a bit of a problem for Tottenham because maybe they want him next season, but for Real Madrid, they don't want him back. But watching him play so well, maybe they'll think, oh, we can probably sell him now. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what, what happens because traditionally at the end of the season, Barcelona and Real Madrid and Milan and Juventus, they go out with a checkbook and they try to correct any issues they've got. Nobody's got any money. It might mean that the the suits at Real Madrid say to, to Zidane, no, you, you can't have anyone free, but you can have this great player who's playing in North London. <laughs> he starts off in a wide wide right position, cuts inside to his left foot. He's really, really good. And and they'll get him for free. There, there is a genuine risk, I think, a genuine risk. The, the, the big talk always is, at the moment is, you know, who's going to buy Mbappe and Haaland? Now, Mbappe, I think, will definitely go if someone can find the money for him. Haaland, not so sure. There's there's no pressure from Haaland's side to, if you like, cash in on how well he's playing because he's been playing this well for three years, so he's going to carry on. That's not going to stop. So he can afford to wait the extra year until clubs have got money again with another year of, of having supporters in the stadium. So we, sh- we shall see. But certainly neither Real Madrid nor Barcelona have got the money for a big, big signing. It's going to have to be a big player exchange, I think. Yes, I read, I think it was last week, that Haaland's camp, if you like, or his entourage or whatever, have leaked that there are three or four clubs interested in, in him in the Premier League, and he would be happy to go to two or three of them, but Chelsea isn't one of them. He's not interested in going to Chelsea. I don't know what's behind that. But back to Tottenham, because it was a great game to watch. I really enjoyed, for once, sitting back and watching Tottenham. Harry Kane, another 9, 10 out of 10 performance. But he and Gareth Bale now linking up so well, there's an understanding between them that is frightening, much as it is with Son and Kane. So the three of them up front with Lucas Moura, who seems to be coming good. He's not the fan favourite sometimes because he does seem to have off games. But he was excellent in the last few games. Gareth Bale's now scored, I think, five goals or f- in the last four games. Something ridiculous like that. Not bad, really, for a player who's not been playing all season. But now, for me... There's a big case that if this is the way he's going to improve and be, to keep him on loan for next season. Yeah, I, I, if I was the manager of Tottenham, I'd definitely want to keep him, you know. You, you you want to keep every good player you've got. I love players like Mora, and I, I've sort of bigged him up, if you like, on, on this for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, because he's what I call a playground footballer. He's a guy you want on your side in playground and in pickup matches in the park. He does everything and scores goals. You know, when the ball comes loose from the penalty area, oh, there he is. And he makes the good pass that puts another player in he does something creative every team needs those um, these to be called inside forwards and Ar- Argentina has been famous for producing loads of those over the years he's I think he's a great player and those four of them should be in, in you know they should be the starting starting four in the in the 11 for Tottenham yes and then you've got Deli Ali as backup uh, should Mora get tired or whatever and then you've got Reguilon also on loan from Real Madrid uh, there was a story this week, um, uh, he's a bit of a joker, Regulon, um, and he was being interviewed about, you know, how you're enjoying your stay at Tottenham, because he's on loan, and he was saying how much he loved it, and he said, actually, when I was given the offer, I went to Gareth and said, listen, I've been uh, offered a chance to go on loan at Tottenham, and he went, really? Me too. <laughs> so it was quite funny, um, and they were mates at Real Madrid, and I think that's probably helped, because they've been passing to each other a lot. The problem is, of course, those two have been 
especially Bale recently, but very good for Tottenham. And they're just on loan. So I think Tottenham need to sign both those players. And with that front four, as you say, Tottenham could beat anybody on the day. It's just at the back there's a few problems. But even even Sanchez had a good game on, on Sunday. Well, you know, I keep saying Sanchez is a good player. The trouble is he has this huge cock-up in him in almost every game. And, you know, the reason you look at his history and who he's played for, everyone thinks, oh, what a fantastic centre. But what a great player. What a great footballer. And then he does the drops the big ricket in a game and that's the thing that's held against him all the time and he's done it quite often this season if he can eliminate that then you've got a world class centre back genuine world class centre back and you would think that with a a very defensively minded manager like Mourinho he would be able to sort that out of him sometimes sometimes Rose Ed is the best place for the ball okay (laughs) but that was great Tottenham 4 Crystal Palace 1 as we speak Tottenham have got a European game tomorrow against Dinamo Zagreb and then again on Sunday the games just keep coming um, for Tottenham uh, with, with Arsenal away in previous years that would have been a frightening fixture if they play like they did against Palace I think we might come away with the three points but you just never know with Tottenham However, before we move on, uh, you mentioned about Tottenham being defensive. Mourinho seems to have calmed down now that we've won three in a row in the league and, uh, and a couple of European games. His attitude has changed again. He's back to smiling. Uh, but in an interview, I think it was on uh, the uh, N17 Spurs TV, um, after the game against Palace, and they congratulated him, obviously, and said, so that's uh, 100 goals Tottenham has scored this season. And he went, yeah, not bad for an overly defensive team, is it? And actually, there is only one team in all the top five leagues in Europe who've scored 100 goals or more, apart from Tottenham, and that's Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich 106, Tottenham 100, the only teams to score 100 or more this season. Again, parking the bus, but not bad uh, for Tottenham. Right, we'll move on. I think we'll talk about West Ham, shall we? Uh, Another victory on the road to European football. The most pleasing thing for me about the the position West Ham are in is that we we deserve to be there. All except this last match where West Ham did something that West Ham have never done in my experience. They won a match when they played badly. And that's always held up to be the sign of uh, of a side doing well in the league. If you win when you're playing badly, that's great. Think of how many times Manchester United have done that since since the start of the Premier League. I would have to say Leeds looked more dangerous throughout nearly the whole match. And Bielsa's comment was that we we were much better in the 70% of the time we had the ball than West Ham were in the 30% they had. And that's absolutely right. That's That that was how the match was. But they didn't put the ball in the net. You know, you have to have to go back to this old Bill Shankly, Bill Shankly saying, which, which he did um, in an interview with Michael Parkinson. And he said, look, if Liverpool play Tranmere Rovers, who were then at the bottom of the fourth division, there will be five minutes where they are on top. You have to score when you're on top. You have to. That's the game. Leeds aren't doing it. You know, Le- Leeds cannot get any sort of consistency. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have talked rubbish about Patrick. Bamford or oh, he should be in the England team no he shouldn't Patrick Bamford is one of those strikers that's very good top level of the championship bottom half team in the in the Premier League and he'll score a number of goals this season by the way is the, the most goals he scored he scores good goals and he scores great goals you don't want that you want you want your Lineker who the ball will bounce off his knee three yards three yards away and nearly you know hit the bar and come down and go in that's what you want from your striker and Bamford isn't it they looked dangerous but without very often doing enough to get the ball in the net. Fabianski made some good saves, has to be said. He's, he's a great goalkeeper. And Leeds definitely deserved a point, if not a win. But you don't get it if you don't score. And West Ham scored. Twice. And um, beating Leeds 2-0. And West Ham, I mean, that's one of the best seasons so far that you've had for a long time. And I 
do think, as I, I said to you before, I think Tottenham, if they continue this mini run of form they're on, may overtake you by the end of the season. But I think you might finish just around the European spots. So no, no, no reason you shouldn't now with the amount of games that are left. No, only keep playing like that. The other game last night was Chelsea two Everton nil. They they just can't lose under Tuchel, can they? Uh, you'd have to say it was a re- regulation Chelsea under Tuchel win. What's Tuchel done? Well, look at the defence for a start. That back three they brought, you know, suddenly turned Christensen from being a liability into arguably the best centre back in the league at the moment, along with John Stones, incidentally, who who people have written off suddenly that you know they're an incredibly difficult team to score against who has scored against them I think it's a penalty and a known goal against them in the last six games Havertz with his new role which he got the other day is a, a sort of roving false nine suddenly look the player that every all the big teams in Europe wanted wanted to buy last season you know when when the the lad Jao Felix went to uh, Atletico Madrid for 110 million and you know the comment beside him was scored scored the, the second highest number of goals in the last two years for an under under 20 year old player raises the question so who who scored the most when well, that was Kai Havertz which is why every every club big club wanted him Chelsea got him he came for for understandable reasons struggled to fit in to to Lampard side because he didn't really seem to know what it was doing to be honest then he got coronavirus and was extremely ill with that it wasn't just a you know this is a, a normal dose of flu kind of thing he was very very sick came back and he's worked his worked his way in through great performances in training and he looked the real deal the other night he looked very 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 good player Tuckle has well Tuckle's done what Tuckle's always done he's he's sorted the team out he's arranged it he's got them playing in a way they understand players know what they should do even though sometimes they don't don't do it they know what to do sometimes sometimes don't do it which you know which we've seen and heard on TV that you know a regulation win they're much much better than Everton and deserved it yeah he's one of those I don't know what the sort of new European style manager speaks several languages, has a certain aura about him, much like Klopp, like Mourinho possibly you would say, used to have. It's different from your Allardyces of the world, isn't he? A modern manager in many ways. And I can't, I mean, I, I don't know, was it nine games and they've conceded one goal and haven't lost? It's absolutely outrageous. Uh, and we used to say that, you know, the problem with Chelsea was either their goalkeeper or the defence. Uh, I not quite sure what the problem is now if there is one because they couldn't score goals under Lampard they couldn't defend under Lampard there were various different problems from week to week they're not going to win the league this season but you'd put them in it with a chance next season uh, that could be a frightening prospect there's a few other couple of things we want to talk about Jeff of course the other, the other week to- uh, Tottenham beat Fulham 1-0 and Fulham had a goal disallowed because it bounced off the player's arm and into the path of another Fulham player who then scored and according to the letter of the law if an arm leads to a goal because it changed the trajectory of the ball so therefore the arm was part of the goal it's disallowed since then not as a result of that but since then the International Football Association board IFAB have changed the law regarding handball leading to a goal yeah and that goal would under the the new in inverted commas rule would have been allowed I think nearly every team in the Premier League has had a situation like that this season the next thing they've got to sort out is offside of course because that's a complete farce at the moment you can say okay Fulham were unlucky then yeah but I think that that thing has happened to just about every club this season yes I mean I don't think Fulham can feel aggrieved that they've changed the law something will have gone in their favour somewhere down the line it has to be made clear though that if the ball hits the arm of a player and bounces to to another player and he scores then now that would be a goal but if it bounces off his arm and then he scores that is still disallowed so if it bounces off his arm into the goal obviously disallowed if it bounces off his arm and then he kicks it that is still disallowed 
It's only if it goes to another player. That's a little clause in there. But they've done the right thing. You said about offside. First of all, there was a, a, a goal for Harry Kane, uh, assisted by Son, which makes um, the all-time assist goal combination specialists. But there was a, they spent about five minutes with all these... Gr- it was like being in an algebra class watching the VAR. So it's down to a minuscule kneecap or, you know, elbow. But people wanted accuracy, and that's what you're getting. So what's the problem with offside? For me, the problem with offside is what they are drawing the line... So think, think about the 100 metres in the Olympics, okay? If a guy puts his arm out to cross the line first, he doesn't win. It's the chest. It's the chest, which is why they lean forward. I think that would be a much better place to be drawing the line. Well, yeah, it'd be because that is you. You know, it's not your arms which are moving to, to help you breathe and help you run fast. And it's, it's not your legs where, where it would depend on where in the stride you are. It's your body. That's you. That's where you are. Why don't they say if your chest is, is ahead, then that's offside. Anything else? No, it's not. To me, that, that's what the problem is. You know, because your, your arms and your legs are moving and it just depends on where you are in your stride at that point. It's a nonsense. But where your chest is, that moves at a, at a defined concept rate so why don't they just do that it would solve the problem i think offside is now accurate in the sense that it's measured it's just any part of your body like patrick bamford who you mentioned earlier uh, was ruled to be offside even though I had two men in front of him pointing and his finger was offside or his part of his arm was offside pointing to where he wanted the ball played and obviously he couldn't have used his hand to score the goal anyway so it's a bit unfair that was ruled out but i am glad that var has worked in the sense that at least we're getting accurate decisions for that just one point i forgot to mention it just reminded me for some reason when tottenham played crystal palace uh, I expect Roy Hodgson was quite surprised that Harry Kane wasn't taking the corners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, having a centre forward take the corners always a good one. Yeah. Ma- many, many years ago on the on the ball program, they they did a, a section where they watched Nottingham Forest training, and in in this particular situation, they, the ball went off for a corner, and Peter With, who was there, went to take the corner, and Clough's just Clough exploded. Young man, young man, young man, what are you doing, young man? Just get in the middle, you know. <laughs> And he turns to the camera and says, why would the bleep, 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 tallest player on the pitch be taking the corner? Yeah, and that's, as we said, you know, that's what Hodgson had, Harry Kane, when, when he was England manager, taking the corners. Very strange. Right, uh, the, one other bit of news is that um, Barcelona, who we have been laughing at lately, have, for various reasons, have had their election finally for the new president. Former president, he has been president before, uh, Joanne Laporta was elected by quite a big difference between him and whoever came second. So he's got his mandate. It's one of his first things is to keep Messi, who apparently voted for him. Yeah, he got something like you know, 58% of all the people who voted in the thing voted for him, which gave me a huge, huge win over the other three or four candidates. I think if Messi had come out in, in, in advance and said he was going to vote for Laporta, Laporta would have got 99%. He's the man who is behind the, you know, everything that was good about Barcelona from 2002 to 2002. And the only reason he didn't go beyond that was the the statutes of Barcelona say you can't be president for more than for a third successive term. So, but he's back. He has a huge problem. Um, if you read in the newspapers that Barcelona's debt is sort of 500 million or 550 million, crap. It's 1.2 billion. The the 500 million things are net debt. So they they've deducted assets from the total debt. Now assets you, you can't count because they're subject to valuation. So whatever number you tell the valuer is the number he's going to come up with and put on the piece of paper. It means nothing. What matters is the is the gross debt because that's what's driving the interest. 
and Barcelona are in a huge, huge financial problem. Uh, problem. As are Real Madrid, by the way, whose debt is pretty much the same. But everything's focused on Barcelona because they've been in such a mess, because they've had the police raids. There has obviously been some serious fraud going on there. And Laporta's job is to sort that lot out. So anyone who thinks he's going to fire the manager before the end of the season is dreaming. He's not. Got to get somebody in place. And I don't think anyone will be in place before the end of the season. Will he have Koeman manager next season? Doubt it very very much I think even Kuman knew he was only in there holding the position until the new chairman came in you know he's not a stupid man been around Barcelona long enough to know how things work but it's going to be very interesting every one of the candidates for the election said the first thing they're going to do is is ensure that Messi stays well they can they can dream um, Messi will stay if he wants to and he'll go if he wants to he's much more likely to stay with Laporta as president he has to renegotiate his uh, his salary deal if he does stay because he can leave on a free his contract is up um, which leads us to in these these financial problems are financial problems of every club in professional football in Europe at the moment uh, as I said Real Madrid have similar problems Juventus have got the same problem same problem as Barcelona but with, with Ronaldo both Ronaldo and Messi both earn a basic 28 million pounds a year with bonuses on top which can take them up to 90 million they've both got almost identical contracts and that's no accident by the way each one of them has in their contract that they must get paid more than the other one <laughs> it's bizarre <laughs> so they, they've always you know for, for six months Messi earns more than Barcelona then Ronaldo earns more than you know it's it, you know it's a joke isn't it for all the talk particularly in Spain about the mess Barcelona are in the the Italian newspapers are full of Ronaldo Ronaldo has been a huge waste of money at Juventus. They clearly play better when he's not playing. Perlo is trying to Im- introduce a faster, more high-paced pressing game. And obviously, Ronaldo can't do that. I mean, he just he contributes nothing except scoring goals. And he's in the bottom 1% of players tracking back and tackling in Europe not just in in Italy and uh, there's a big big swing now and a big mood in newspapers in in Italy to say it's been a waste of money Agnelli will say it hasn't been a waste of money because commercially it's been very successful for them it's raised their profile on the on the interweb they've sold more shirts the value of their sponsorships have gone up because of him so financially they've made it pay but let's be very clear he was there to win them the Champions League and they're out again so since Ronaldo joined Juventus have lost in the knockout stages to Lyon Ajax and Porto so that's success then yeah so there are financial problems there uh, as you say Juventus as well something we discussed on the radio show for global radio here in Spain last Saturday was the kind of the difference because in Europe football is part of the culture in China it's not and champions uh, Jansu FC they are the champions of the China Super League have been folded the owners Suning have decided they want to concentrate on the retail side of their business so they've just folded the club doesn't exist anymore and the reason I remembered that is because you said Barcelona and its assets and they're only assets if you actually sell them off aren't they uh, which is what Jungsu FC have done imagine imagine being a support, lifelong supporter of Jungsu FC and the next week oh we won 4-0 and the next week you don't exist because the owners have said nah don't want to be in this business we're going to concentrate on our clothes shops go back to simon jordan and his comments about who owns the football club and we have this ancient ancient feeling that somehow supporters own the club and no they're limited companies and jung ting's owners have, have looked at one of the companies in their portfolio yeah. and said that's not producing we're going to get rid a perfectly rational business decision if you don't like it then blame Mrs. Thatcher because she's responsible for it. But the, these financial problems are, are, are big 
in England as well. Manchester United have just taken another £60 million loan to fund current expenditure. Now, that's very, very bad news. In other words, to pay the wages on top of the £140 million they took six months ago. So in the last six months, they've taken £200 million in loans to fund ongoing operations. So you would say in the normal course of events that they are only surviving with the support of their bankers. In other words, if the bankers said, uh, sorry, we want our money back, they're bust. Uh, the Wanderers took £120 million from the Bank of England um, last month. The irony of the Wanderers taking money from the Bank of England is not lost on anybody who remembers that Arsenal used to call themselves the Bank of England Club. <laughs> And the Spuds took £125 million from the Bank of England. That was much more understandable and less to do with ongoing operations than funding the debt for the billion-pound stadium. Uh, we've had Burnley sold to US investors um, with a ground mortgage to the Michael Dell Capital Capital Company. Southampton, Derby and Sunderland have all taken between £60 million and £80 million from the same company. This is very, very bad. Football clubs are pretty much bankrupt. You know, they are continuing operations with the support of their lenders, their banks. Now, when you put that on a set of accounts and the city sees it, your shares plummet in value. Yeah, we could see some unprecedented closures of clubs. We're never surprised if a lower league club closes down. Bury, sadly, all these clubs. And we don't tend to think about them. We don't we say, oh, that was sad and move on. But when you've got Manchester United, I mean, I'm not saying they will close down, but you know, they're, they're, this is a situation where, in real world terms, it could happen. You would think that Premier League clubs, with the the millions, the you know, tens of millions that they get from the TV deal, will will continue to have the support of the banks. Okay, that's fine. But will they? You know, will Manchester United have enough money to? to rebuild their, you know, or add to their squad. Uh, you know, they, they tend to pay 30 to 40% more than market price for players. Are they, are they going to be paying 80 million for okay-ish centre-backs in the future? I think it's unlikely. Yeah, just to wrap that up, and to tie it up with that whole Chinese thing, uh, football in China is subsidised by subsidized by the government, and they've obviously thought this isn't worth it. And part of Suning, the company, who we were talking about, and the Chinese government, have decided that they're not going to renew the Premier League rights to show football which means hundreds of millions of pounds lost to Premier League teams but let's wrap it up and have a look at what's going to come this weekend and our predictions for the coming games uh, Leeds United against Chelsea um going to be a tough game but I think Chelsea will win that unless this is the game where Leeds come back no I, I think Chelsea will be will be too strong 2-0 to Chelsea uh, Crystal Palace against West Brom I think West Brom are down and have to start thinking about who they can afford to keep and who they have to sell and all those things and will they keep Allardyce Crystal Palace bouncing back from a, a, a drubbing from Tottenham who were brilliant I might, men- might have mentioned that I, th- I can see a draw I see a drab draw no I think, Pal- I think Palace will win I, I'll go for another 2-0 win it, before last week's matches if you looked at the and cr- constructed a league table from the previous five matches Palace would have been third the last last week's result was an extraordinary one in recent times for them so I think they'll be back to back to winning ways yeah West Brom are finished Everton against Burnley well Everton got beaten by Chelsea but they are still in the hunt for a European place but they don't look convincing do they they really don't look convincing I'll go for a I tell you what, I'll go for a 2-0 away win. Wow, you think Burnley are going to do it? All right. Uh, and then Man City have got a tough away game. They're at Fulham. Fulham against Man City. Now the way Fulham have been playing, you wouldn't put it past them. But I think Man City will be... That's going to be 2-0 to Man City at least. You'd have to think so. I mean, Fulham, Fulham have looked good playing with the ball 
which is exactly what Manchester City want the opposition to do. A, a team that sits back and defends and becomes difficult to unpick is a problem. But one in 21 of the last 22 matches they haven't had a problem with. No, <laughs> no, I can't see anything down for Fulham in that match. 2-0 at least to Manchester City. Uh, Southampton against Brighton. Southampton won again, finally, after a little break. Brighton desperately need a win. The problem for both teams has been scoring goals. So, 1-0 oh, to Southampton. And then I think this is going to be pretty routine. Leicester against Sheffield United. Yeah, not much down for Sheffield United there, is there? 2-0 uh, to two nil to Leicester. Yes, I think I have to agree with that. And then I don't want to predict this one myself. Arsenal against Tottenham. As I said earlier in the show, normally that's a tough game. Tottenham looking good now but then Arsenal have improved on their form earlier in the season so I, I fear that might be a draw but I prefer that than, than losing yeah 2-2 two, two draw alright and then great game for the neutrals in many ways since uh, we've got Man United fans and West Ham fans on our radio show Man United against West Ham you're away at Old Trafford 2-1 to Manchester United alright uh, Liverpool lucky Liverpool they're away from home they'll be happy about that uh, they're away at Wolves Wolves are struggling to score. In fact, I, I think they're struggling all, all over the pitch. So I think this is the match Liverpool come back. They win 2-0. Yeah, I think they will. Yeah. I can't even imagine if they don't get a European spot this season. That would be unprecedented. Quite an amazing thing happening at Liverpool. All right, time for your trivia question and its answer. There are only three players who have scored a hat-trick against Barcelona in the Champions League. Kylian Mbappe is one of them. He did it two weeks ago. Who are the other two? Well, they are Andrei Shevchenko for Dynamo Kiev in 1997. And the final one is one of the sadly forgotten players because he is such a marvellous player and a fantastic personality, Faustino Espria for Newcastle, also in 1997. Yes, what a, what a character he was. And strangely, yeah, you don't, you don't hear much about him these days. Obviously, not playing anymore, but he was a character. Well, obviously not much about him in, uh, on the pitch, but um, he his parties at his ranch in Bolivia are, are famous, sorry, Colombia are famous, apparently. Yes, and possibly we won't go into that. <laughs> it's a family show. That's all we've got time for. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was Hitting the Bar, the football podcast.